This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. John chapter 2, as we've been going through the Gospel of John, uh, while you're turning there, um, just a quick moment of celebration. We're getting close to 300 families set free from slavery. Like we're all, we may actually already be there, but we are within striking distance of 300 families that you all have set free from slavery in Southeast Asia. And as long as the funds keep coming, the freedom will keep going. So I just want to thank you for trusting us to be the conduit of that generosity here. In John 2, Jesus is heading into a a marketplace that wasn't meant to be a marketplace. Now, Uh, my son about maybe a year ago, give or take, decided he was going to uh, go into the shoe selling business. Are you familiar with the, quote, sneaker culture? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, in fact, if I remember right, uh, Jack, are you still doing your uh, detailing of shoes? I'm gonna need to hire you because I've I've got a problem with mine. So my son approaches me about this uh, business that he wants to start, and I'm a good father. You know, I'm one of the nicest guys I know, so I'll help him. I'll be your first customer. In sales, whoever speaks first loses, okay? I spoke first, so I lost. So here's why I didn't know, like for me, sneaker culture was trying to not be too ashamed walking on the first day of school because my mom took us to pay less shoes and I had those pro wings, those awful knockoffs of whatever. So the, you remember the walk of shame because I had the poor, oh man. So for me, that was sneaker culture. So I, I, when I said, I'll be your first customer, um, he then tells me the price. Turns out non-negotiable. Not only is it non-negotiable, I can't even try them on because that it will harm the value. Right? What kind of crazy messed up world is this where I'm, I'm just taking a flyer and hoping these things work, but I made a deal. And I'm teaching him I'm honoring my words. So $250 later, I'm wearing these on my feet today because my son uh, taught me another lesson, which is P.T. Barnum was right. Every, uh, there's a sucker born every minute. <laughs> And I only wear them for special occasions like this because when you've got shoes, this, you know what I mean? I, if these were, if this was my car and I'd spent like that kind of money, I'd be parking way out there so none of you guys would ding my car. I'm like trying to not get my shoes dinged. Jesus is walking into the marketplace in, outside the temple and there's not sneakers, right? There's not shoes, but there's a lot of cattle and sheep and goats and birds and money chain. There's a whole market going on at, when he heads into this temple. And in chapter 2, verse 13, it says, When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. And so he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. 
That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word today, it's my prayer that you speak to us each individually. Lord, that you might speak to somebody to just tune me out and just start writing whatever you're saying from your word to them. Your word is what is will be the lamp and the light for our feet and for our path. Father, for the other churches in our area that are lifting your name up, we're so grateful for Southview Church, Mark Rampula. You're doing amazing things in that church family. We bless them and we pray for them. For Pastor Tom at Thompson Station Church, what an amazing, we literally in this area, we stand on the shoulders of faithful men like that. And Lord, for our brothers and sisters at Grace Chapel, lots of things have happened in that world in the last year, but Lord, you are still on the throne and you are healing and you are mending and you are making stuff happen. We put all of that into your hands and trust you and pray blessings over them. And in our own church family this morning, you are the pastor of this church, Jesus. We submit ourselves to you, knowing that as we lift you up, you will be the one that will draw all men unto you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. It's beautiful, isn't it? John 20, verse 31, he said, this is why I'm writing this book. I'm writing this book that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might be saved. Those three things is why he wrote this gospel. John was the best friend of Jesus. He was the closest guy to what was happening. He's certainly somebody you would want to know and want to hear from on what Jesus did, said, and meant. And that's what he's saying. I didn't write this so that you might believe that Jesus was a good teacher or was a good example, but that Jesus was the Christ. He's Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might be saved. And so when he walks into this temple, right at the very beginning of his ministry, John the Baptist has just declared, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so now Passover, which was celebrated about a lamb, right? A lamb for dinner. Here comes the lamb of God into Jerusalem, into the temple and sees what's happening and begins to turn over tables. The, the money changers table, turning him over or as, a, as the great poet Michael Scott would say, oh, how the turntables. Was it funnier second service, Mo? We, we actually thought about killing this because it, we got nothing first service, so we thought, huh, oh well. Well, let, let's do it differently. This is, this is probably a better way. So Jesus says, behold the land, you know, I'm here, get out of here, command. You've turned my father's house, this temple, my father's house, into a den of thieves, which is another way of, you know, he's just doing a big mic drop moment, which would be few turntables and a microphone. you. I, I don't know. We might need to go home, Mo. I think that <laughs> Mo and I were literally like high-fiving each other this morning over how funny we thought we were, and now I'm fully aware that I'm dying up here. <laughs> By the way, Mo will be speaking next week, so uh, let's hope he can pull out better than I've been able to do this morning. So look, here's the thing. In this these few verses we've got here, what we're seeing is this, that Jesus is coming to this temple, 
and there are tables, right? There are merchant tables, and these are my tables. I'm the merchant. These are my tables. It is my choice. But he's saying, no, no, no. They might be your tables, but this is my temple, so this is my choice. And then at the end of this chapter, we're seeing that it's his temple, right? It's also his table, because in between the, where the people were with these tables, inside was this table of showbread, which is the table of Christ. I am the bread of life. So he's like, no, no, this is my table, but it's still your choice as to what you're going to do with this table. That's the way that we're going to follow this through in the few minutes that we have this morning. The my table, the my choice, here they come. You are, it'd be like if we were sitting outside. Now we've done this a little bit like with kids raising money for mission trips, right? You're walking in the door. So you're you know, buying biscuits or oil or I don't know, was one of them selling moonshine? It seemed like one of the kids was selling something for the mission trip that did really well, but I, it was sold out fast. But it would be like outside the church are the tables, but those are just like, you know, fun things. This would be like, you can't get in there unless you have one of these things. So in between the entrance to the king, to the temple was this table, these tables in the outer courts that they put themselves between the people and God. You have to get through me to get to him. And Jesus had come 100% to do away with that nonsense. He had come to be the bridge so that you and I now could get to the temple directly. So when he comes in and he sees these merchants sacrificing, offering these things, and it's a chaotic scene. I don't know if you've been around livestock very much. You know, in our culture, a couple of things have happened in the last couple of years, a few years. One is the, um, the uh, Instagram people driving around the country in their vans. Are you getting any of those in here this morning? No, because y'all have jobs, right? So, but the Instagram people in their vans, here's what I predict. In about five years, there's going to be a lot of really good deals on vans because that sounded really great until you realize I live in a van. See what I'm saying? Like, I, I, this sounded great, but I live in a van down by the river. This is what Chris Farley was talking about. The other thing is that, and this is going to hit a little closer to home, so if anybody storms out, I'm so sorry, is... Y'all out there buying land and getting cattle and stuff, God bless you. But I was raised in Nebraska, okay? Here's the thing. It's work. You own land. It's a battle against nature every day. Nature is fighting against you, trying to grow over with your vines. And then you've got the animals. And here's the thing about animals. They'll poop anywhere. And they poop a lot. They smell so imagine the scene, cattle, sheep, birds, I mean, they're just everywhere. Like they have really just stunk up the temple with all this effort and energy. And the idea is really simple. If you've traveled a great distance and you needed to bring a sacrifice, what if it wasn't accepted? Here's a guaranteed way for the low, low price, right? To get this sacrifice accepted. That's what Jesus walks into. And that is what Jesus is saying. No, 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 no. Not in my house. When you put a table between someone and God that is not Jesus, he is going to turn it over. He loves you way too much not to do that. Now in our world, in our life, in our modern context, you will never see, well, that's not true. We have had donkeys out there for like kid stuff, but you really won't see livestock for the most part in front of the church to get into the building. We're, it's a foreign concept to us that we have to sacrifice an animal. For us to get to 
God, we're more apt to sacrifice things like our families. We're more apt to sacrifice things like our career because we're pouring our lives into this thing. We're more apt to sacrifice our sanity because we're just, just literally like Gary Vee, 10X and everything. And before you know it, I've just exhausted and worn myself out. This is not a new concept, by the way. Blaise Pascal, a mathematician and a philosopher from the 1600s, wrote this. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. It's the whisper of Eden, of, of how we were meant to be. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though, no, though, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. If you've ever heard the phrase, God-shaped whole, that is what it comes from. This was hundreds of years ago. You can go back to Plato, you can, philosophers. There is some hole inside of us as humans that we can and many of us do spend our lives trying to fill. Every VH1 behind the music was the same story. I finally got everything I ever wanted and I was still me there's still that hole. And Jesus is saying, I'm that, I'm the guy. I'm, I've come to show you that God is the hole that you're trying to fill. You're trying to fill an infinite hole with a finite thing. You're trying to put a, an infinite weight upon a finite being. That's the promise of Jesus. And so when he comes in and says that, it starts turning over these tables, he's literally, I'm I'm turning the tables over. I'm kicking this stuff out because you guys are trying to fill this hole with merchandise, with money. And zeal, this is what I, this is Psalm 69, verse nine. Zeal for your house will consume me. The, the disciples are watching this happen. They're watching this guy, Jesus, that they haven't known terribly long, by the way, chase out hundreds, if not thousands of people with nothing but a, but a rope tied together power of God commanding him and they, they all leave, but he does it because he says, zeal for my house, for your house, father's house will consume me. And what's amazing about that is when you go back to Psalm 69, the, the messianic prophecy that it speaks of, in just a few verses later, he's talking about zeal for your house will consume me. Then down in verse 22, it says, listen to this, may, may the table, right? Merchandise table, right? Money changers tables. May the table set before them become a snare. May it become a retribution and a trap. Jesus is mad because these tables are a trap. They're trapping them in some other way of being. Jesus is mad not at you, but for you, uh, what the tables in your life could represent that will trap you, whether it's an addiction, trap you in just this endless loop of trying to fill this hole. It's just a trap, and Jesus' zeal for his house, his father's house, will consume him. In fact, he's gonna do this again, by the way. In just a couple of years, 
He's going to walk into the temple yet again on the way to his crucifixion. And he's going to once again, which is all of our lives, we always end up going back to building more tables, right? He goes back into the temple. He clears it out again. And in this time, he says this. He says that you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves, right? This was a, you've, you've turned it into a marketplace, but now it's about thieves. John 10 10, we know very, very well. It says, the thief comes not but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Who is the thief? Now, if I say that in a show of hands, that's a trick question because every one of us would say, Satan. But John tells us who the thief is. He tells us in verse one that verily, John 10, one, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. Religion, filling your hole with these pharisaical, puritanical things, like that is trying to find your way into the sheep pen another way, and it will steal, kill, and destroy you. The Pharisees were displeased with that. But Jesus is turning over these tables because these are thieves. And the thing is, for us in our own lives, whatever table you're building, and when I say a table, I guess I should be clear. If you've had success with your finances, that's not a sin. I'm not 100% sure whether I spent that much money on these shoes as a sin. I'm, I'm still on the gay, but I, I'll say it was stupid. But I, it's not a sin to have a house. It's not a sin. Those are not, where the sin becomes, where it becomes the table is when that, when it's zeal for that thing that consumes you instead of zeal for Jesus that consumes you. And the word consumes is really quite simple. It just means eaten up. If, if, look at your own heart. Look at your own life. What is eating you up inside? That is what your zeal is consuming you. And if it's anything but Christ, ultimately, it cannot bear the weight of your infinite need. Zeal for his house, right? Father's house consumed Jesus. Zeal for his house, Jesus, the temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit consuming us. It's basically a tale of two tables. Either you're going to get eaten up, right, by your sin, by your need inside, or this new table, which is what we go to next, which is in his temple. Because it's, right, it's the temple of the Holy Spirit is us now, but his temple means his choice. He comes into this temple, starts turning stuff over. And by the way, don't miss the idea that there was a miraculous thing that happened here. Think about this for just a second. If some dude walks in here this morning and all he's got is a, some ropes tied together and starts yelling at us and turning over chairs and telling us to get out of here, how long before that guy gets tackled, tied up, and thrown out in the yard? Cody, what, 10 seconds? I mean, two seconds? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? He just had a rope. He is commanding them out in the same, the same voice that could command the winds to be quiet could command a thousand people and temple guards, Pharisees that tried to kill him later in life. He could command them and they all spread out. So they're seeing a miracle happen right in front of their face. How did that just happen? So zeal for his house, like this is my temple, this is my choice. And they ask him the question, once they see the whole place cleared out, what gives you the authority to do that? To come in here and to change up all of my furniture, to get all this stuff and throw it around. I don't know if, if, I, if this happens to other husbands, but sometimes I, when I travel, 
pretty much every time I travel, when you think about it, I will come home and all of the furniture in my house is completely switched around. It's like Shannon knows he's gone, so he's not going to complain or, or, you know, so I'm going to do this while he's not here. And I come home and my house is completely changed. And does anybody else do this? It's just, is it just us? Okay, we've got some of y'all. Some, some of y'all need, you might need help. I do, here's what, what gives her the authority to do that? It's her house. Her name is on the lease, the whatever it's called, the paperwork, the title. Her, it's, that gives her the authority. If she were to go to Jerry and Tracy's house, right? They're hanging out in Jupiter, Florida, doing a little vacation. They come home and their furniture is all completely rearranged. There's new pictures of like cows or whatever on the wall that my wife has found. Like, it's, they, and they come home, Shannon has no authority to do that because it's not her house. Jesus has the authority to do this in the temple because it is his house. He has the authority to do it in your life because you and I, Peter tells us, are the temple, the house of the Holy Spirit of God. The God's presence will ever dwell inside of man. Yes, it dwells in you who follow Jesus which means you are his house, he's maybe gonna ask you to do some things that you don't necessarily want to do. And he has the right because it's his house. If Jesus that you serve has never disagreed with you, if the Jesus that you serve has never said, you know what, this table needs to go. If the Jesus you serve only does and says things that you would do and say that you agree with, that Jesus is not God, that Jesus is you. Do you think that the God of the universe might know some things I don't know? Do you know what I'm saying? If you can sneeze a star. Maybe I know some stuff Darren don't know. Maybe there are some things that just like when my kids were two, I mean, I don't know about y'all when you got your two-year-olds, but eventually you realize I'm negotiating with a terrorist. This kid is two. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I can whiteboard it out, but they're two. And their brains are not fully formed. They're not mean. They're not, well, sometimes I mean, they're not, they're not being intentionally, they just don't, their brain isn't fully formed. And so allowing Jesus, inviting Jesus into our lives to turn over some tables, it's zeal which is love, not rage. Zeal is not abuse. Zeal is love. If you were to come to my house and begin to damage my house, try to harm the people in my home, it will end extremely poorly for you because I have a zeal for my house. I have a zeal for my wife, a zeal for my children. And Jesus has that same zeal for you. And he is not going to let some table that I have constructed harm my relationship with him or harm my relationship with you. There is no such thing as a victimless sin. You understand that, right? Jesus' approach to moving in and setting up shop in our house is out of love. And I know that it's out of love because he says 
he starts talking about this temple. I'm going to allow this temple. This temple is going to be destroyed. And in three days again, it's going to be rebuilt again. And they were confused, but he wasn't speaking of a physical temple. He was speaking of his spiritual temple, of his body. He was speaking of his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection. And I always go back to the cross because the cross reminds us of one thing. It's one thing to say that you've got a God. Again, I've talked about Buddha, Muhammad. Those are all people that have claimed to be God, but you don't know whether they're good or not. How do you know if they're good? How can you possibly trust that they're good? Jesus was the one who didn't ask me to die for him. He died for me. The only thing man made in heaven are the scars on the body of Jesus. He left them there so that we would remember that he is good, so that if he's in turning over tables in my house, it's not because he's arbitrary or capricious, it's because he's good and because he loves us and because that table is damaging me, that table is damaging everybody that I love and eventually, you know, in a follower of Jesus, he's gonna come in and he's gonna start knocking over tables in a good and kind way because, right, it's, my table, my choice, I can be out there doing whatever I want with my, and it's just gonna destroy lives, I'm gonna stink up the place. He's making the claim that I have the authority that this temple of the Holy Spirit as a follower of Jesus is his house. But you understand that God is not a forceful God. That he's saying that this is the table he invites us to is still my choice. The table that he has created, the table that he has invited us to is not one full of merchandise, is not one full of sneakers, it's not one full of cattle, and, but it's full of love, the bread of life. You see, he said something that I have missed. I've read this passage probably like some of you dozens and dozens of times, and I had missed this. Zeal for my house, for his house, consumes me. This was Passover, okay? John chapter one, John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Passover was a feast that was celebrated after the Israeli people were rescued out of slavery, 400 years of slavery, and the last plague that was sent was an angel of death. And over the houses that night, anyone who would apply the blood of a lamb to their doorpost would be saved. If you were Egyptian, if you were Israeli, it didn't matter. Anyone who would put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost was saved. That was what they celebrated at Passover, was the miraculous salvation of God by the blood of the lamb. But don't miss this. The blood of the lamb was on the doorpost. Where was the meat of the lamb? on the table. It wasn't just the blood of the lamb on the door, it was the meat of the lamb that was consumed inside of them. Zeal for your house consumes me. And in Psalm 69 verse nine, it means exactly that. In fact, if you've got the King James it actually says, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Jesus, on the last night before his crucifixion, would take this bread and say, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat. There's an imagery in this that what is happening to Jesus is that the sin that is eating me up is transferred to Jesus 
and now consumes him. My sin consumed Jesus. And because he did it willingly, right? This was not something that was forced upon him. Hebrews tells us that he did it joyfully. It was for the joy set before him that he endured that. That he did it joyfully, allowing my sin to consume him so that his love can consume me. Zeal for his house, right? Consumes me, he says. Uh, Who's his house? Now, Peter tells us, you and I, the temple of the Holy Spirit, zeal for you has consumed him. My sin eats him up so that it doesn't have to eat me up. It's the greatest exchange of all time. Jesus, on the last day, right, the Passover, he is telling this story, and we think he's just kicking over tables. He is painting a picture of the gospel. And here's why I say it's his table, but it's still my choice. These last few verses, verse 24, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. The deal is not that we, right, ask Jesus to trust us. Trust me, Jesus, I'm never going to do that again. Starting now, starting tomorrow. Okay, so next week, we're going to do it now. Next week, we're starting. Trust me, Jesus, Do you understand the power of what Jesus is saying? He didn't trust us because we can't trust ourselves. We trust him, and by trusting him, what did he say? He did not need any testimony about man. He knew what was in each person. The line of good and evil, Solzhenitsyn says, does not go through groups or identities of people. It goes through every human heart. That's why identity politics is so evil. That's why it's so damnable. Because it groups us into people who are good and bad people. And Jesus is saying, you all have this part of you that I need to cleanse and to save. There's a part of your temple that I want to cleanse. If you're putting your trust in you, you can. But if the God of the universe didn't trust you, don't you think maybe he knows something? Maybe it might be a good idea to say, okay, wait a minute, I need to take a step back here and put my trust in Jesus. He would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. John 20, verse 31, I've written these things that you might believe that he is the Christ, that he is the son of God, and that by believing in him, you might be saved. He didn't write these things so that by working really, really hard and striving that you might finally get yourself into the temple. He knew better. He knew what was in the heart of every man. And all he wants thing he wants the most, right, is for that relationship with you to be connected to him. And all you have to do is just believe in him. I mean, sign me up. Some of y'all are younger, and some of y'all are going to keep taking a lap around this mountain. You're going to keep coming back. But at some point, 
Look at the mountain and realize that on the mountain is a cross. And you can stop anywhere you are on that mountain and trust in the work that Christ did. Stop running laps and start arresting in the work that he did. Because out of that work, you can go make a great living, but you're not doing it to try to fill a hole in your heart. Working out of an abundance of the, the Holy Spirit in your heart is a game changer. I, I would spend months overseas, this trip and that trip, trying to save this kid and do that thing, and all of it was a good thing to do, but because it was from a hole in my heart, it was gonna do nothing but burn me out. The Bible calls it becoming weary in well-doing. It's just biblical language for burning yourself out. I still go to Haiti, but I go for different reasons now. I go because the God of the universe has turned over the tables of my heart I get to go out of an abundance of the love that he has given me. There's no therapist at $150 an hour that can give you that. No, no offense to counseling, to therapy. There's a, you know, just like, keep doing that. I'm just saying what you ultimately need. The bottom of that heart is to be filled with the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. Stand to your feet and I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, Thank you for putting us in a place where we don't have to receive the scourge of sin because you, Jesus, received the scourge of that sin, my sin, and by your stripes were healed. Lord, I pray that. Would you make it real inside of us? Just grow it inside of us and that search that. Even this morning, Lord, maybe somebody's they're getting ready to take another lap. Maybe take a pause, Lord. Holy Spirit, give them a little pause before they take one more lap and just rest in you. And for those in here, we're, I mean, it's middle Tennessee. There are some high-achieving people in this room. God bless them. God bless what the work they're doing. And Lord, would you turn over whatever tables need to be turned over so that they are doing it out of the fullness and the abundance of your grace and not out of the emptiness and the darkness of the hole in our hearts. We love you. We're so grateful for you, Father. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.